I armed myself like always, a fat rack of cams and a haul line I'd use once I got to the stands where the anchor will be drilled. Then Hillary would send up the drill kit and the line would become a climb. The climbing of the crack was luckily very straightforward and just as I suspected, it was perfect hand jams. The crack ended and I plugged in a bunch of cams, anchored myself to them, and had Hillary send up the drill kit. I drilled a bolt and then started digging in the bag for the blow tube to clean out all the rock dust from the hole so that the bolt could be safely pounded in. The tube was nowhere to be seen. I looked around in every compartment, nothing. I looked again, nothing. I cursed, but not the type of yelling I would have done if I was there with one of my bros. There was a woman down there that hardly knew me. I had to at least try to keep it together. The cave wall is not off to a good start, I thought to myself. Welcome to episode 19 of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. From the climbing zine, I am Luke Mihal, And this is our final episode for season one. It's been a pleasure to reread through these stories and to put them out for you. You know, the number one thing I come away with reading this book after I've written it four years ago. To me, the most important thing is people who are reading it that can um, get a glimmer into my life or what my life was like and not necessarily learn from my mistakes, but to realize that we all have hard times that go along with our good times. And, and I think some people might see my life and you know I get to travel and climb and, and my work is climbing and a lot of people might see my life is just the most envious thing, but, uh, you know, like anyone else, I've had some hard times and if I can share my hard times and it can help someone else out, that's the, uh, the most important thing for my work, for my art. This episode is brought to you by Sticker Art. Sticker Art is to sponsor this entire season and they're based here in Durango, Colorado. We're very grateful for Brian Coyne and his support. Every sticker tells a story and, uh, but if you've been listening by now, you know if you enter Dirtbag as the coupon code at checkout, you're going to get 20% off. Thanks, Bryant, for sponsoring our first season. You can support the podcast at the various links in the show notes or checking out the link in our bio at our Instagram page. We are on Patreon, and you can subscribe to The Climbing Zine. And as I always say, it's the number one way to support us. That or pick up a book or a zine and some merch stickers. Uh, it's all available at the link in our bio at our Instagram page and in the show notes. For my dirt bags, for my climbers, and for the people who want to be dirtbag climbers, this is the final episode of season one, episode 19. We hopped in and I cracked a beer. Tim cracked a soda and we toasted to more days out there on the edge of the Indian Creek Corridor. This was late spring, and we knew the wall would have to wait until the fall. Even when the fall arrived, there was unfinished business for other new project. I've been obsessively trying a thin crack climb I'd established a couple years before. For me, in this rig, it was like an abusive relationship. At first, I thought I'd never be able to do it. The beginning is so small, you could barely fit a ruler into the crack. Somehow, there are face holds outright in a dihedral and a weakness in the line for your feet. Those moves alone took me several tries to figure out. Then the crack widens up for the tip of my pinky and there are a couple of moves like that, right for it desperately stemming out and conditioning the fingers to love the pain. Finally, the crack gets really steep and the clock is ticking. This is a fight type climbing starts. 
The crack becomes more offset, and thus you can't even put the edges of your toes in it like you normally would. The finger jams get better, but this is where I would always fall. I didn't have the strength to pull through. Season after season, I tried these moves, probably 30 attempts over the last couple years. And with each failure, I felt about 49% frustrated and 51% committed. I had to finish the business. In October, with Tim belaying me, I finally got it done. All the practicing, all the rehearsal leading up to descending the climb. And in the process, I realized what giving a climb your all truly meant. All my years, I was an imposter if I said I was really trying my hardest. I knew I had more to give. With this project wrapped up, and some other less memorable ones finished as well, we set our eyes on the cave wall. The cool thing about developing a new wall is the adventure and the variety. Not every day are you in the mood to try hard. Sometimes it's just the art of climbing, the friendships, and the surroundings that matter. Tim and I were raving to everyone that would listen about our new discovery. Half of our friends were interested. The other half knew the manual labor involved in developing a new wall and had no interest in climbing new cracks when there were so many classic ones already developed. But just because a library is full of books doesn't mean you shouldn't try to write your own. The first day up at Cave Wall, I rallied my new friend Hillary. We'd only climbed together once before, but she was keen on the notion of hiking for hours and scoping new lines. Her dog Scout, a charming mutt with perky ears and hints of golden retriever and Australian shepherd, was even psyched. So we drove out the long wash in a hot, early autumn day and hiked for almost two hours, scrambling over loose terrain and following the accompanying doubts that come with the adventure of newness. All of a sudden, we weren't in the Indian Creek I knew well anymore. This was the Wild West again. From our vantage point, you couldn't see the highway, and no cars drove out the wash we drove up and started hiking from. This was solitude, and I didn't know Hillary that well. I didn't have the luxury of having a partner that I knew inside and out. We arrived at the base of the wall, awash in sweat, and Hillary still seemed upbeat. I was impressed. She'd passed the first test. I gave her a tour of the wall, like a proud new homeowner, but I didn't own this land, and hopefully no one ever would. Things like this should always be shared. Everything was fresh, and loose blocks were everywhere. On our hike circumnavigating the wall, I stood on a block the size of a refrigerator and just started moving down the hillside. Terrified, I just rode it for a couple feet until it promptly stopped. There are moments in climbing experiences where you feel brave, almost fearless. This day was not one of those moments. This was humble pie for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No cherry on top for dessert either. This was the virgin desert. We were looking in my desert home, but everything was so different. Looking out to the six-shooter towers, we didn't see anything other than the landscape. Not a car drove out there the entire day. We had somehow, some way, found ourselves in a part of Indian Creek that belonged to the past. I guess that's why they should call climbing a pastime. We're always trying to find a forgotten magic, a field of dreams of sorts. We had so many new climbs to choose from, dihedrals that soared as far as the eye could see, big headwall splitter cracks, offwists, and shorty lines that were obvious, low-hanging fruit. Being in a new place with a new climbing partner, we both decided on the easiest possible line, a 60-foot crack that looked like it had perfect hand jams the entire way. We exploded our gear at the base. I armed myself like always, a fat rack of cams and a haul line that I'd use once I got to the stance where the anchor would be drilled. Then Hillary would send up the drill kit, and the line would become a climb. The climbing of the crack was luckily very straightforward, and just as I suspected, it was perfect hand jams. The crack ended, and then I plugged a bunch of cams in, anchored myself to them, and had Hillary send up the drill kit. I drilled a bolt, and then started digging in the bag for the blow tube to clean out all the rock dust in the hole 
so that the bolt could safely be pounded in. The tube was nowhere to be seen. I looked in every compartment. Nothing. I looked again. Nothing. I cursed. But not the type of cursing I would have done if I was up there with one of my bros. There was a woman down below that I hardly knew, and I had to try to at least keep it together. The cave wall is not off to a good start, I thought to myself. Then Hillary shouted up, What about the tube from your hydration bladder? Brilliant. She looked at my hydration bladder, and somehow, luckily, the tube that connected to the bladder easily came off. She tied it on the hall line, and I dragged it up. It worked. I cleaned the hole, pounded in the bolt, and then repeated. We had our first route at the cave wall, and after that one, we did another short crack line. A productive day. As the sun started to slip away, the magic hour of golden light descended. The way it reflects in the crimson sandstone walls is always cause to pause for a minute and reflect. But as the sun descended, so would we, stumbling down the hillside, trying to pick the line that someday would be the trail, and avoiding the steep, dangerous terrain to skirt down the hillside safely. That night we ended up at Super Bowl. Like always, friends new and old shared food and fire. It was still the good old days. In the morning when the sun came back around, I could see the wall in that forgotten canyon, way off in the distance, sitting right there in plain view of where I'd spent many nights and mornings. Obsession began. Other than sex, shelter, and food, the cave wall was all that mattered. I preached to my friends, and luckily, like always, they rallied. One by one, everyone approved. The approach was hard, they agreed, but it was worth it. Every time we hiked up and down, we found a better way to... The drive and the approach were the blessing because they guarded the cliff. To the hardcore, leave-no-trace type environmentalist, leaving the land untouched entirely would be the ideal scenario. Not us. We'd rather use the public land and let it settle into our souls, you know, become one with it. And then, after our little footsteps left a trail and we had enough climbs, we'd share it with the community. Don't keep a secret. This land is your land. This land is my land. All seasons must end. However, the way autumn slips into the winter in the desert is precarious and never predictable. So in December, after the first storm, the weather report indicated decent climbing weather. We formed a posse and rolled out. During the fall, we were able to establish these magnificent climbs. Works of art, they were. Nature started, and we added the necessary human touches. I found a new personal project that was truly art. Again, like my other project, it started off tiny, ruler with, and then opened up to a massive headwall with a crack just over an inch wide. I knew to successfully climb this crack would mean I have to become a disciple of the wall, that it would work me over and over, and I wanted it to punish me, because in the end, something great would come out of it. A first ascent, but more importantly, I would become a stronger, humbler climber. Gene had his eyes on this dihedral that went so far into the sky you really couldn't see the end while standing on the ground. We stared at it many times, and Gene decided that day would be his day. It was magnificent, and when he reached the anchors, we all agreed that it was the longest continuous single-pitch dihedral we'd ever seen. Jean, who was reticent to name a climb before it has been free-climbed, couldn't help himself and suggested, what about to the moon? Ah, and there it was. We were in the middle of developing a wall that we knew would be our finest contribution to the climbing world. It was simply too good to think we could find any better, and we were okay with that. At some point in life, you have to step back and realize this is your moment in time and it might not get any better. The thing with our sport is it is not the climb that matters the most. It is the climbing that matters the most. Sometimes the climb is so good, the companionship and camaraderie so right, you've got to ride the adventure all the way, all the way to the moon.
Last year, during the winter holiday season, while flying back home from Illinois, I was in Phoenix for a layover. It hit me that since my trying times as a 20-year-old, when I was hanging on to life by a thread, I hadn't returned to that place. After all, there was no real reason to. I didn't give it much thought until the flight took off and I looked out to the window, to the hills, surrounding mountains. Somewhere below me was that hill I climbed where I found the courage to reach out to my parents and end my life as a runaway. These days, I can hardly believe I reached such a level of depression. It's not uncommon to read about a young person taking their own life. It's too commonplace. Just the other day, here in Durango, a young man took his life. When I read about a suicide, I always think about my own time with those thoughts, and I get sad. Even if I never met them, that they couldn't find their way from the darkness back to the light. I've also realized I was just going through my journey when I lived in a darkness for so long. It was no one's fault that it happened other than my own. Again, like climbing, experience is only gained through experiences. And like Martin Luther King Jr. said, I'm grateful that I've seen the mountaintop. That vantage, that little place in my mind keeps me going. Like everyone, I have my ups and my downs. Lovers have come and gone. I fall in and out of love. My aspirations in life are minimal. I want to write, to eat, to climb, and to make love intense. When I'm gone, scatter my ashes in that Colorado Plateau desert that has given me hope. Just a couple weeks ago, I was heading out to a local climbing area, driving with my buddy John. We talked about current affairs, about politics, and the state of the world. I lamented about some of the things I wish I were doing better at in my life. A relationship had just ended with a woman I loved. My bank account was hovering near zero. I wondered if I should have taken another path, if I should have stayed with the security of the job I left behind long ago. He just looked at me knowingly and said, you have freedom, at least you still have freedom. That was episode 19 of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal. This journey has been a pleasure. I'd really appreciate it if you take some time now that this season is over and while you wait on next season um, to just, you know, make an action if you enjoyed it. That's as little as following it on Spotify, writing a review on Apple Podcasts, throwing down on our Patreon to... Uh, Get on board for as little as a dollar per month, subscribing to The Climbing Zine, or even just picking up some zines or books or merch or stickers. Uh, We got it all, and if you you just want to spend a couple bucks and give us a couple stars, I mean, that would really make my day if you've appreciated this. Music for this episode came from Ketza and Simon Panrucker. Our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich. Signing off for the end of season one, Episode 19, this is Luke Mihal, the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast, coming at you from lovely Durango, Colorado. Peace.